A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. So trauten Schabes at the guitar. Out of the 24 who were killed, were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Lusak. Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Welcome, everyone, to Jewish History Soundbites, the next episode in our Malava Malka series, the uh, upcoming yard site of the Satmarov, Rabbi Yoel, or Rabbi Yoelish Teitelbaum, as he was known, coming up in just a couple of days. And this is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. So I'll talk a little bit about today. When everyone mentions the Satmarov, they right away focus on his stance on Zionism, or rather his anti-Zionist stance. And they seem to like uh, break down the entire multifaceted personality and incredible leadership and and greatness in Torah of the Satmarov to just focus on this one point. Um, well, definitely was a major part of who he was and his identity and everything, but there's definitely... So much more to the Satmarov that it seems a pity to waste it all on just his anti-Zionism. He really was a, a, a father to his people. And there's a beautiful story that I heard many, many years ago that I was unsuccessful in verifying if it's 100% true. So I can't say I have, I have it completely sourced this story. But from what many other stories bring out and from what his whole personality and uh, everything else that we know about him, of what he did in the post-war era about rebuilding people's lives and taking the broken survivors and lifting them up and creating a community with him as the leader of it, um, everything else that we know, it seems to point in the direction that this story is also true. And even if it, the exact details aren't, it uh, certainly brings out a certain point about who the Satmarov was. So Satmarov arrives in America after a brief stint in Switzerland and then in Eretz Yisrael, and he comes to Brooklyn, Williamsburg, and he encounters a, a broken world, a world of uh, PTSD, of traumatized Jews, Hungarian Jewish survivors, of which he was one of them. He was a, a Rav in Hungary before the war, which is another interesting point. that uh, He was a person who lived for 92 years, a nice long life. And he was in America for the last, 
you know, uh, 30-some-odd years, from 1946-ish till 1979 when he passed away. And uh, he was 57 when he left Europe. He was 57 when he left Switzerland, when he left first Hungary and escaped. And uh, the Kastner train, whole story in itself. But he was lived the overwhelming majority of his life. He lived in Europe. And for some reason, that whole part of his life is somewhat ignored and disappeared. He was a rov in a bunch of different Hungarian cities. It was an area of Transylvania, of Carbon of uh, the Carpathian Mountains, and an area that was that, that changed hands from Czechoslovakia to Hungary to Romania. To Today, most of them are in the Ukraine-Romania area. And he got his name as Satmarov from a town that was in Romania in the interwar period. And actually, it's the town of Satu Mary. And in English, that would translate as St. Mary. And I always found it ironic that the most conservative and reactionary Hasidus in the world, is named after St. Mary. And if you had to choose a Christian saint to name after, then, you know, if you're that extreme of a Hasidus, you shouldn't have done it after a woman. Um, that's first of all. I mean, there's plenty of other saints. It could have been, uh, could have been the Satpol Hasidus or something like that. I don't know. And even and even if forget about the woman, naming it after a Christian saint just seems... A little odd, but that's how things work. And the Satmarov, um, when it was part of Romania, King Carol of Romania came to visit Satmar uh, in 1936. And the Satmarov, along with many other town dignitaries, um, came to greet him. And and he um, he took off his hat and he went and shook his hand and. Uh, and in respect, he made the bracha of, that they make on kings, and uh, the King Carol was very impressed with the Satmarov. Um, there's a picture of it, actually. A journalist uh, was able to snatch a picture of it. Um, but getting back to what, the story that I wanted to say about, I keep on getting sidetracked, about the Satmarov after the war. He arrives in America, and there's a, a broken generation, and he literally encountered people who had given up on life, who they were the lone survivors of their families, and he was he was simply schlepping people off, uh, Hungarian Jews, survivors, survivors of Auschwitz, um, schlepping them off park benches in Williamsburg and other neighborhoods, and getting them married, getting them a job, and putting them back to life. He 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 literally dragged people and forced them to go on living. It was amazing. Work, you know, that many people are known for building great yeshivas or being great politicians or any other leadership like that. He went down to the trenches, he went down to the simple people, and he created a, a community of, of, of workers. Of uh, just from a socialist, social, social point of view, what he did was uh, incredible. So, there's a story that's said in that context. Um, that he invited a group of these people that he was working with, that he was trying to build up. He invited them to a Gemara Shir that he was going to give in Williamsburg once a week for an hour. And he encouraged them all to attend, about 40, 50 people. And they, he comes in, and there's 40, 50 people waiting for him. They all came. And he said, he opens his Gemara, and he says, before we start, I, I want to see how you guys are doing. And he turns to the guy next to him, and he says, uh, Yankel, uh, how's it going? That job that we discussed, did it work out? You got the job, do you enjoy it? 
Yeah, he says, wow, it's doing great. I'm so happy to hear that. You're, I'm so happy that you're back on your feet. It's doing well. Good for you. Keep up the good work. And he turned to the next guy and he said, Beryl, um, how's it going? You just got married recently. Uh, things settling down. I was, how is it going? You, you look good. I'm happy to see you. And he gives him a few good warm words and he moves to the third guy and he says, uh, how's it? You just moved into that new apartment on on, on Rodney Street in Williamsburg. Uh, how's it going? Is he, Did you get furniture? It seems like you're doing okay. You're more settled. I'm so happy to see you. And again, and he goes around the entire room. And when he's finished, he looks at his watch and he says, it looks like our hour is up. We didn't get to learn the Gemara. We'll do it next week. So next week, same time, everyone come. We'll start learning the Gemara. And the next week comes... And everyone's waiting for him. They come with their Gemaras, and he opens his Gemara. And he says, look, before I start the shear with the Gemara, I want to see how everyone's doing. And he turns to the guy next to him, and again, he says, how are you doing? How's it going? And he does the same exact thing as he did the week before. And at the end, the same thing happens. He said, look, our time is up. We didn't get to start learning. But next week we will, so come again next week. And lo and behold, next week the same thing happened. And the same thing happened the week after that. And this went on for about a year. And every single week, they never, ever started learning the Gemara. He never gave the shear. Until after about a year, the Satmarav finished off again. And, he, and he, start, he comes in, I'm sorry, he comes in again. And he opens his Gemara and he turns to the group that had every single week had come again and again and again to start the shear. And he never did because he was going around seeing how everyone's doing week after week. And he turns to them and he says, my friends, this past year we learned Daf Aleph. Today we're ready to start Daf Beis, Zak de Gemara. And that, and that is a story about the Satmarav. He saw a need. He saw people in need. He saw people who were troubled, who were lonely, who were devastated by the war and what had happened. And they needed someone. And he became that someone for them. He became that father to them. Because listen, if, that, if, if the way the story that I heard it is true, then think about it. It's not just what the Satmarov did, is that these people came back week after week. We would think these people are a little crazy. I would drop out of a shear that the rabbi uh, never got to, not that I'm such a big masmid, but, uh, you know, I have better things to do than to hear about everyone's tzaras every week and hear the rabbi give them a pat on the back. I can find other things to do. So I wouldn't come back the next week. And these people came back week after week, presumably, and I'm not a big psychologist, but presumably because they needed it and they wanted it. And, and this gave them a connection. And he provided that for them and he built them up. And, uh, and, uh, and this is what he, he was set out to do. He had been a Rav before the war in Hungary, in several different cities. There was opposition to him before the war. Everything about him, that he was a Kanoi and an extremist, and in, in Hungary it was about the Neologs, the famous uh, Hungarian Jewish movement that was progressive, that was, I guess, similar to the American conservative movement, uh, he was opposed to them. He was opposed to the Zionists back in Hungary. Everything about his personality was, existed then. And there was opposition to him then also. And when he tried to become the Rav, there was opposition. And they, and they had the votes in the Kehila. Should they vote him in? Should they not vote him And they tried applying to the courts and to the Bezdin. And it was a whole war. It was a whole good 
nice battle, and then they claimed his Hasidim of rigging the vote. Okay, so there you go. The, the, the voting and the succession and the rigging the voting, and not much has changed all these years. There already was accusations back then. And he served in three roles when they died down, and he finally was able to become the Rav there. Satmar and Arshavan, Kuli and other towns. He had three roles. He was a Rosh Hashiva, one of the largest yeshivas in Hungary, over 300 Bachram, which in Hungary was very large. Most, most yeshivas in Hungary were in the tens. He was the Rav of the town. He was a big Paisik, a huge Talmud Chacham, probably a genius. And he was a Rebbe. He was a Hasidish Rebbe who ran a court, who ran a Chatzar. And here he comes after the war to a world that has been destroyed and he rebuilds everything from scratch. He was very, um, very adamant about every one of his chassidim and it was connected. And he was building up, the first thing you do is you need to find a job. You have to work. You can't just sit around doing nothing. And Kyle wasn't an option in his books either. He, he, there was a famous interaction that he had with the Chazayin Ish before he left Eretz Yisrael. He was in Eretz Yisrael for about a year and a half. He lived in the Beis Yisrael neighborhood by his daughter and son-in-law, who she died childless a few years later. He, he died without any descendants. All three of his daughters died without having children in his lifetime. And he lived in Beis Yisrael, right down the block from where Mir Yeshiva is today. And, um, and he, and he um, met the Chazayin Ish. And he said to the Chazayin Ish that the Rambam says that if no one allows you to serve Hashem properly, then you have to run away to the Midbar, to the desert, because no one's going to let you serve Hashem. So here we have these Tziyoinim, and they're not letting us serve Hashem properly. We have to run out to the Midbar. So the Chazayin Ish said to him, you're right, we should run to the Midbar. The yeshivas will be our Midbar, and we'll stay in the yeshivas our whole life. And that became the clarion call of the Chazayin Ish, and the whole Koilul system uh, to a certain extent, can be blamed on the Chazanish in Eretz Yisrael, and uh, and and it started there. That was the that was where it it began and continued. And and there's a lot of factors that obviously went involved. And I'm not going to get into that topic now. It's really a topic in itself. But what I'm what I want to point out is the response that the Satmarov said. The Satmarov said the yeshivas cannot be the midbar because not everyone's built for that to go to yeshiva and to remain in yeshiva. That's not going to work. And you need to go out into the Midbar, to a desolate area, and build a community that's cut off from everywhere else in the world. And what's amazing is that in 1946, this conversation is taking place, and the Chazanish's vision of everyone attending yeshiva, to a certain extent, was carried out. For, for better or for worse, it was carried out in Eretz Yisrael. And the Satmarov's vision, which ultimately translated into a community in upstate New York that's, that's, that's a self-contained society that is kind of, that is somewhat of a midbar, but everyone's working, everyone's doing something, that also came out to fruition, his vision, also for better or for worse. But they both had this vision, and he said that this has to happen this way. In fact, a friend of mine just sent me something, a quote from the Satmarav recently. He said that he was once speaking to a Litvisha Rosh Yeshiva, and the Litvish Rashiva says, why are you so against married guys staying and learning? Their wives can support them. And he says, no, that's changing the Sidre Bereshis. Hashem created the world that the man should be the one who supports his family. And you want the man to not support his family. And, uh, and that the woman should. And so the, the, the uh, Litvish Rashiva countered with a 
a, a homiletical interpretation of a Pasuk in Parshish Shemais. He says, the Pasuk says, Kol ha-ben any child, any son, male child that's born, tashlichu, throw him into the river. And the river is water, and he says, Ein mayim throw him into the Yam HaTalmud, into the sea of, of, of Talmud, of learning. So how are they going to make Parnasav? Chol habas, Tichayun, all the girls, the, the females, the women, they'll make the Tichayun, they'll bring the Chayim, the Parnasa. So the Samarav turns to him and he says, why don't you look at the beginning of the Pasuk, Who's, whose advice was this? Who's the one talking? It's Paray. This is what Paray thinks to do, to have it done this way. But that's not the way we do things. Everyone has to go out and make a living and, and work hard. And there are boundaries. He said in America, this Western and open society, he's worried about assimilation. We have to create boundaries. He insists that his Hasidim were strimals even in America, which is at the time unheard of. And what people usually overlook was that not only was it unheard of in America at the time, but in Hungary, back when he was the Rav, it also wasn't so common. And he, when he was the Rav in Hungary, almost no Hasidim wore strimals. There were Hasidim in Poland who wore strimals, but also not everyone. There were Spadiks also in Poland, Galicia, they wore strimals. But in Hungary, most Hasidim did not wear strimals. They also didn't speak Yiddish. Most of them spoke Hungarian. Uh, the Satmarov once used to vacation in Florida during the winter, and Rabbi Wine, or Beryl Wine, was the Rav in Florida, so he said, told me several stories of him and the Satmarov. He got pretty close with him. During those winters in Florida, the Satmarov used to use his shul, he used to use his mikvah, before the Satmarov came down to Florida. So people were saying, this young rabbi who just came down from Chicago is building a mikvah, who is he to build a mikvah? Who, he knows Ilchas Mikvah Bechlal. What does this rabbi wine know about building a mikvah? That's what people were saying. Then the Satmarov comes down, he spoke to Rabbi Wine, he says, good kosher mikvah, I'm going to use it every day. And not a single person ever said a word about the mikvah after that. So, so one time the Satmarov told Rabbi Wine that he, 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 he knows that his Hasidim think that Hungarian is a holy language because some Hasidim told him that they don't buy uh, food from a certain store in Williamsburg because the owner doesn't know Hungarian, so it's probably not that kosher. He even told him that his whole idea, this is how the, much the Satmarov was concerned for the, for the welfare, for the physical welfare, for building up these survivors, this is, listen to this, this is beautiful. He told everyone that he started the whole Satmar Kashrus, which is the best Heksher, and it's much better than, than the, the other lower Heksherim. The Satmar told him that he didn't start it for any, re, any Chumra reasons. He didn't start it because he had certain uh, Chumras, and, and he was stricter with his standards. That wasn't why he started his Kashrus organization. He started a Kashrus organization to be able to he was trying to think of ways to create more jobs for his Hasidim. And he said, we'll start a kashrus, and this will create jobs, this will create employment, it gives people employment. That's where he was holding, that's, where, that's what it was all about. He, he, um, he uh, started a, a newspaper called Der Yid, um, that, 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 that espoused his, his views mainly about Zionism, his anti-Zionism, he was very... Makpit uh, in that newspaper that when they write the words Medinat Yisrael or Medinas Yisrael, and that's definitely how they would have said it, they should put the word Medina in quotation marks. And just to give you an idea of how extreme he was in his views, 
is that one time the editor forgot to put it in quotation marks, and someone showed the Satmarov the newspaper before Shachris. And the Satmarov said, call the editor over, who was davening in the same minion. It was a small little Haimash Hasidus then, everyone davened together in one shul in Williamsburg. And the Kamach said, it grew since then. And he, and he said to him, uh, and he said to him, in the meantime, the Satmarov started putting on his tefillin. And the editor comes over, the Satmarov now has his tefillin on. And the, 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 the culprit, the editor, Satmarov starts selling him, you, you, when you write this, my newspaper, you have to write it with my views. And I told you to put the word Medinat, Medinas, in quotation marks, because he doesn't recognize the, the estate. So it's, a, it's a, in quotation marks, that it's not really a Medina. That's what he held. And you didn't put it in quotation marks. And then he adds, just to show you how severe I take this, this is the first time in my life I've ever spoken wearing tefillin, wearing Rashi's tefillin, he said. Tefillin Rabbeinu Tam, you're allowed to talk, apparently. So that's how extreme he took it. But interestingly enough, on the flip side, he used to visit Eretz Yisrael quite often, and he considered himself the spiritual head of the Eid HaCharedis. And one of his visits to Eretz Yisrael, there was a municipal election, an Iriya election. Now, according to his whole world philosophy of the Shaloi Shvois, uh, the, the three oaths that you're not allowed to, to make Aliyah and Mas, and the whole story in itself, what his philosophy was, but uh, he, he, that, that whole thing was pertinent to, on the national level. And he, there's definitely nothing wrong with, uh, there's definitely no big Isser of the Shalish voice to have Jewish representatives in a city. You know, to have that in, they had that in Poland, they had that in Hungary, they had that in Lithuania. There's nothing wrong with having that here. So on a city level, then it was okay. So he didn't hold it was a big mitzvah to vote, but he didn't think it was the same severity as an Avera as, a, as voting in the national elections. So someone asked him, can we publicize your view that it's not the same level of Isser, it's not being the Isser of the Shalishvuis to vote in the city elections? Maybe they'll get a few more people to vote. They know that the Satmarov is not so opposed to these elections. He said, okay, you can publicize that. And the Nature Karta were not so happy with this, so they came to yell at the Satmarov. So he said to someone nearby, he said, in America, they come and bring me money, because I'm a Rebbe, and they ask me for advice. In Yerushalayim, they take my money, and they give me advice, which kind of... Uh, uh, really uh, typifies the Yerushalayim state of mind and affairs till today, in a, in a certain way. And I'll finish off with something Rav Hutner once said about the Satmarov. I heard this um, from someone who was there when, uh, when this took place. And um, Rav Hutner was in his office speaking to a Talmud, and the phone rang. And Rav Hutner was a very relaxed personality. He was leaning back in his chair, and all of a sudden he got very intense. And he was speaking on the phone. He was very, very serious, very intense. And this Talmud asked him, why were you so intense? And he said, because it was the Satmarav on the phone. He said, okay, who cares who was on the phone? And Rav Hutner said, in Noyach's Teva, he came out limping because he brought the lion's food late. So the lion gave him a whack. And the question is, why did he deserve such a punishment he was only late once, and it was only to one animal. Why did he deserve such a severe punishment that he has to limp for the rest of his life? And Rav Hutner said, because the lion said to him, I'm the last of the lions.
be very careful with me. This was Yehuda Geberer of Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com. For questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, in Jewish Europe and other places, you could subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Don't miss an episode of the podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites. And I hope you enjoyed.